2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 7 through 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was, tra and if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate, or some translations will use the word reflect, we all, with unveiled faces, who reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we go through the next few chapters, you know, again, this week and next week, we're in this portion of Scripture, but then through the next few weeks, as we go through chapters 4 through 7 in particular, number of things that are referenced here and the number of things that have already been covered in the first three chapters will come up again. And so there'll be references to the veil and there'll be references to the, the glory and so on. And so keep those points in mind. Here he begins with this reference to the letters that we talked about even last week. As we said, what is the letter of Christ? How can we be the letter of Christ to the world around us, bringing the word of God with hope and with truth and with light and with life? So this morning, you know, we've got to look at this context of these verses. And when we studied in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, when we studied about the triumphal procession of Christ, it was important for us to understand the historical context of Roman victory processions in the first century. In this passage, as we read, you know, about what he's talking about, Moses and so on, the historical context that he's referring to is much older. He is referring to history from about five, 1,500 years before Jesus and Paul. So he's talking about that, that period of time where, as we see the record of it in the book of Exodus in general, and in Exodus chapters 32 through 34 in particular, we read how Moses was interacting with God and how the children of Israel were 
affected by or were involved in that interaction of Moses and God and Moses leading the children of Israel and so on. So God, in the book of Exodus, we read this whole story, God miraculously delivered the Israelites from Egyptian slavery and had Moses lead the people to Mount Sinai. God had told Moses, when you bring the people out of Egypt, I will bring you back to this mountain. And there at Mount Sinai, God not only gave Moses the Ten Commandments, this we tend to typically remember just that part of the story, but he didn't just give the Ten Commandments, he also instructed Moses how the people were to worship and how they were to treat each other. And very importantly, how they were to construct the tabernacle in which the glory of the Lord would dwell. God instructed Moses in all of these things and he said this is the things that the people should do and how they should prepare and how this will be constructed and done so that the glory of the Lord would be in your midst, will be in your midst. And it was at that time, while Moses was up on the mountain receiving God's instructions, that the people had Aaron make a golden calf they declared that this was the God that had led them out of Egypt. They were essentially blaspheming Yahweh. And then they began worshipping that idol. Moses came down from the mountain. He broke the two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on it. And he ground the golden calf into dust. Made them drink it and so on. And he administered severe judgment severe punishment on the people. More than 3,000 people died that day because of their apostasy, because of their blasphemy, because of what they had done in rejecting God, rejecting Yahweh. Once the dust had settled, both literally and figuratively, once the dust had settled, we read this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Just go down a little bit further to verse 18. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Keep going down this section to chapter 34. God tells Moses to come back up on the mountain and gives him Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments again on the tablets of stone. And then we read in Exodus 34 verse 29, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. 
When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands of the Lord, all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Pretty dramatic, isn't it? Pretty dramatic that every time Moses would spend time in God's presence, his face would become radiant. Wouldn't that be a true test for us? How are you doing this week? Oh, I'm doing well. Did you spend time with God this week? Oh, yes. No radiance. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a test that we would all be sort of concerned about? If everything that we did on a Sunday morning, we walked into church and everybody's face was just glowing. Wouldn't that be something? Then we say, oh, I know you were in the presence of the Lord this last week. Come, 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 let's worship together. But, you know, before we start looking for radiance and whether we find some kind of foundation or something else that we can put on that looks like we have radiance, <laughs> don't worry about any of those things. It's not whether someone thinks that you have spent time in God, with God. Moses didn't even know his face was radiant. He wasn't paying attention to that. He was paying attention to God. He was sitting in the presence of the Lord, standing in the presence of the Lord, talking as a man does with a friend, speaking with the Lord, face to face, the Bible says. So that when he came out, he wasn't paying attention at all. The people were saying, Ooh, what's happened to you? We would be people who are spending time in the presence of the Lord in such a way that we would reflect the Lord's glory. So the question is, what is the Lord's glory? There isn't a single description or verse that fully defines the glory of God. Psalm 19 verse 1 states that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 tells us that the whole earth is full of his glory. Not just the skies above, but the whole earth. And when you see the, the marvels of creation around you, you're able to tell, oh, God is glorious. God is glorious. And the whole earth declares that. When God's glory was manifest on Mount Sinai, with the children of Israel there, there was thunder and lightning and fire and a cloud and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of God speaking. It must have been quite an event. The children of Israel, then as they were journeying in the wilderness, they experienced the glory of God in their midst as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 40 describes how when the tabernacle was set up, the glory of God came like a cloud and filled the tabernacle. So to the point where Moses couldn't even enter the tabernacle. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it describes that when King Solomon finished praying at the dedication of the temple, 
fire came down from heaven and lit up the sacrifice and then the glory of the Lord filled the temple to the point that people could see this. They said, oh, we see the glory of the Lord filling the temple. So there were these manifest presence of God, these manifestations of God in these ways. And so the best summary of God's glory is that it encompasses the greatness, the beauty, the perfection of all that God is. Paul Tripp describes God's glory like this. The stunning reality of this universe is that there exists one who is the greatest, the most beautiful, and the most perfect in every way. God is gloriously great, gloriously beautiful, and gloriously perfect. There is none like him. He has no rivals and no valid comparisons can be made to him. He is the great other in a category of his own beyond our ability to estimate, understand, or describe. Every part of God is glorious in every way possible. There's nothing more to be said. And because God is glorious in every possible way, he alone stands in this vast universe as the only one who is worthy of the worship, surrender, and love of every human heart. Why do we sing you are worthy of it all? Because he is worthy of it all. And if that's not true in your heart, if that's not true in your mind, if that's not true in your life, you will worship something else. You will turn to something else. Something else will get your attention. It won't be God. Because if God is not altogether glorious, altogether beautiful, altogether worthy of your praise and your worship, something else will get your heart. Your career, your material needs, your pursuit of happiness, your pursuit of being the fittest you can be, something will get your heart. It won't be God. God has to be the one that you say, above all, glorious in every Way. But if the glory of God is beyond our ability to understand or describe or you know, to even comprehend, to estimate, how should we understand and describe it? You'll notice that in that portion that we read in Exodus chapter 33 verse 19, when, when Moses is saying, God show me your glory. He starts to get a glimpse, he starts to understand that God is glorious. He, he is is awestruck by God. He has the fear of the Lord in him. And he says, show me your glory. He's not quite sure what God will do. And it's a fascinating passage. I encourage you to read through that whole, again, as I say every week, read that whole passage in Exodus. Read the whole book of Exodus. But it is wonderful to see how the Lord responds because the Lord says, when, God, when Moses says, show me your glory, God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name the Lord Yahweh El Shaddai El Elohim I will declare my name in your presence I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion you see it's God's goodness it's God's mercy it's God's compassion. It's his very nature. It's who he is. It's his identity that constitutes his glory. 
We're not looking for something external. We're not looking for something else. We're not looking for crowns. We're saying God himself, God in who he is, is the definition of glory. He says, I am. I am the great I am. And therefore, when we declare glory to God, when we sing that, when we state that, we are recognizing that glory is defined in terms of worshiping and glorifying God alone. When we seek to be with God in his presence, we can't help but be affected by his glory. You see, Moses humbled himself. He didn't say, I'm the best. I'm the greatest. He said, I can't do this, God. I can't go to Moses and deliver your people. Uh, to Egypt, pardon me. I can't go to Pharaoh and deliver your people. I can't do it. I, I, I don't have the means of doing this. God said, I will be with you. And that was the reason that Moses went. So he humbles himself. He knows that it's not up to him. And then when he brings the children of Israel out and they are rebellious against God, he says, blot my name out of the book of life, but don't, don't destroy these people. Don't break your word. Keep your word. Keep your covenant. And he pleads for the people. He humbles himself on behalf of the people. And he seeks the presence of the Lord. But when the Lord responds... When the Lord speaks to him, when the Lord calls him up and says, come, Moses did just one thing. He merely remained in the presence of the Lord. He didn't do. He was just being. Not doing, just being. Just being in the presence of the Lord. And as he remained in the presence of God, unbeknownst to him, he was being transformed. His heart is changing. His, his mind is changing. And his skin is changing. Glowing before God. Transformed because he just remained in the presence of God. It was not that Moses sought glory and hoped to be with God. It was that Moses sought to be with God and automatically received glory. That's the difference. And you see, that means that we have to pay attention to what it is that made the difference for Moses, as opposed to all the other people of Israel. Why did Moses have this? Because it doesn't say that all the children of Israel walking around in the wilderness had all their faces glowing. It doesn't say that they waited in the tent of meeting in the same way. It does speak of Joshua. Go read this. It does speak of Joshua waiting in the presence of the Lord. And Joshua then becomes the leader of the children of Israel when Moses dies. But it doesn't say this for all of the people. Why? There was a one fundamental difference. One very important difference between how the children of Israel in general and Moses approached the Lord God. And that is the same statement that we are being asked to pay attention to. Because we are called to fear the Lord, but not be afraid of the Lord. We're called to fear the Lord, but not be afraid of the Lord. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 through 20 says this. And this is after God is manifesting himself. God's presence is coming down. The glory of the Lord is starting to show. Thunder, lightning, all this kind of stuff. And it says in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning... 
and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but we do not want to have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Do not be afraid, but have the fear of the Lord. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? But that's what Moses said the people needed. Because you see, when God called the people to himself, when he said, come here and worship me, I will bring you into the wilderness and you will worship me, and you will know who I am, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. When God said that, he wasn't saying only Moses. You read this. Read the scriptures. God called the whole nation of Israel to himself. And he said, come and worship me. Come and know that I am your God and you will be my people. What did the people say? Moses, you speak to us. We don't want to come close to God. We're afraid of God. So we will keep at a distance. You speak for us. And you speak to us. We'll listen to you. They didn't listen to him. But they said that. Right? Instead of responding to God's call, they were afraid. Why? Because they looked at themselves. They looked at their sin. They looked at their rebellion. They looked at their hearts. They looked at all of their circumstances. And they said, oh, this kind of a glorious God, I can't come close to him. I'm afraid of this God. I'm afraid of this thunder and this lightning and everything else. I'm afraid of this loud trumpet. I'm afraid of this God that can strike me dead just like that. I'm afraid of what this God will do to me when he knows what I have done to him. You know what Moses said? In spite of all that I have not done, in spite of all that I have done, in spite of the fact that I killed a man in, in, back in Egypt, in spite of the ways in which I have disobeyed God, in spite of the ways in which I said, you somebody else, don't send me. I will draw near to the Lord because the fear of the Lord is in me. I am conscious of, I am aware of who God is and the glory of God. I am in awe of the glory of God. Many times, and this is actually a, a charge that is made against the modern church, the contemporary church. Many times we presume, we presume on the glory and the grace of God, the the. the the Father's heart and the fact that Jesus calls us friends and we just take it too casually. We say, oh, I can do what I want. I can do it when I want. I can, you know, I can just be casual about anything, worship, everything. We don't give God the reverence that is due him. We don't pay attention to the fact that he is God, still God. He's still good, but he's still God. And we don't pay attention to the fact that we are living our lives in whatever ways we want with no thought, with no regard to what the Lord would say or think about this. We have no fear of the Lord. We have no reverence for God. Many times we, we sort of diminish or 
sort of um, minimize liturgical practices and other kinds of things that people would do to be very devout in their faith. And we say, oh, okay. But there is a lesson to be learned in it, that we would reverence God, that we would pay attention to God, that we would be in awe of God, that we would say, Lord, because of who you are and what you have done, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not living in fear. I'm not consumed by a spirit of dread or fear. I'm not anxious. The Bible says very clearly that none of those things are from God or need to be in our relationship with God. But I do live in the fear of the Lord. I pay attention to what you have said. I pay attention to your command to me. And I will live in respect of who you are. Almighty God. If all of creation, if all the handiwork, stars of his handiwork are bearing witness to the glory of God, I can't just diminish that, minimize it, ignore it, do whatever and say, you know, God is good. Right? And so, we are called this morning to respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by glorifying God. You see, this, it was a very rabbinic practice. It was a very Jewish practice to make this comparison of the less to the greater. To make that comparison and say, this and that. This is this way, but that is greater. And so here, he's making this point, and we'll get more into this next week also. Paul is making this point. That the glory of God that was manifest in the wilderness to the children of Israel and was showing up in these dramatic ways with Moses himself having his face radiant. The glory of God that is available for us now is greater. Think of that. He's saying it's like comparing the light of a candle to the light of the sun. He's saying, you can have all the kings of this world, but our God is the king of kings. Doesn't matter who's crowned. Our God is the king of kings. He's making this comparison and saying, this glory is greater. This glory is far surpassing the past glory. The past glory was only pointing to what was to come. Wow. Maybe we should all be walking into church with glowing faces. You see, the greater glory available to us today, it's because there is no limit. What was described in the book of Exodus was a limited exposure to God and to his glory. What is described here as what was happening in the Old Testament, what was happening in the time of, of Exodus, was that it was a ministry that brought condemnation, that made them aware of sin. It, the glory of God convicted and they offered up sacrifices. But when Jesus came and God fulfilled all that he had pointed to, the ministry of God to us now, the glory of God that is revealed to us now brings righteousness. It brings us into this relationship with God. And the ministry that we saw in the Old Testament was temporary. Paul says it, it, was, it was just for a time. But the glory that is now revealed, 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is available for us now is permanent. The greater glory is available for us now. Psalm 89 says this, verse 5. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. You want to live a life that is glorious, successful in every way. You want to live a life that has meaning and purpose. You want to be able to have a testimony born of your life by your children and your children's children for generations to say, this was a person who walked with God. It's not what you do. It's in who you are in spending time in the presence of God that you would say Lord God I want to be like you I want to be transformed into your image I want to be awestruck by you I want to give glory to God and I want the glory of God to be manifest in my life not so that I can boast of it not so that I can speak of it not so that I may even be aware of it but just to carry your presence just to carry your glory, just to be so filled with who you are. Lord, your goodness, your compassion, your mercy, your name. So that when I meet people, when I travel, when I go places, when I do things, that I will say, oh, I am a carrier of the presence of God and the glory of God that is now going to be manifest. That we would shine that we would glow, that we would glorify. When we come together, every time we come together, oh, let's pray. Let's pray that the glory of God would be manifest. But you know how the glory of God is going to be manifest in our church? Not because, like the children of Israel did, they say to one person, you go. You speak. You listen to God. No. Let's all of us, each of us, spend time with God all through the week and come on a Sunday all bearing the glory of God, all bearing the presence of God, all having been in the presence of God. And then when we come together, oh, when we're shining together like that, oh, it'll be blinding. It'll be, it'll be where we can't even look at each other's faces. But, oh, how glorious will that be? That we will say, oh, I, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm so glad to fellowship with you. I'm so glad to participate in the Lord's Supper with you. Because the glory of the Lord is manifest in our midst today. Oh, praise the Lord. For the people that will come to the church. For those that don't know the Lord yet. 
for those that knew, know the Lord in some ways but have never experienced the glory of the Lord. What should they experience when they come to the church? Not that we have a, a facility, not that we have some resources, not that the mics are working, no. What they need to experience is the glory of God. They need to know the glory of God. The manifestation of the Spirit in a way that they say, there is no denying. There is no denying. The children of Israel saw the glory of God. They said, surely the glory of the Lord is here. It should be that obvious. It should be that we come with the fear of the Lord. Not afraid, but come with the fear of the Lord. Come with the awe of the Lord. Because you see the presence of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. It will manifest where he is glorified. Where he is lifted up. Where he is reverenced. Where we sit in awe of him. Where we are saying glory to God. Glory to God. Where he is glorified. His presence will come. And his glory will be manifest. Heavenly Father. We just thank you so much. That Lord you have given us your word. And you have pointed to these stories, these events that took place thousands of years ago to let us know that, Lord, you desire for us to have the greater glory. You desire for us to be in your presence and to be filled with you to overflowing. You desire for us to know you as the Lord God Almighty. Oh, Lord God, let us live our lives like that. Let us live our lives like that. Let us, Lord, be influential in each other's lives like that. Let us pray for each other like that. Let us see the glory of God manifest. All through this week, Lord, come and manifest your presence in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.